Howdy. How you doing? Welcome to Texture. How are you doing? Are you doing terrible? Are you doing great? Are you in the middle where most of us lie most of the time? I'm glad you're here with me. I'm Josh Gaines. Welcome to Texture, the audio program where you are sure to get one thing every time, and that is a quote from a book, <laughs> uh, but uh, which I'll get to shortly. Listen, I want to tell you about something that happened yesterday, and this is not because... In, in future episodes, I probably won't have to explain myself so much because there will be a sort of history to this and a familiarity, but at least for now, I have to set it up a little bit. The following, what I'm going to tell you, it's, it's no crazy story or anything, but it's just um, something from my own experience that I believe and hope is uh, valuable to you as well for its um, relatability. So here we go. Yesterday, I was in real rough shape. And a uh, little bit of background on this. I have been going to counseling since about October of last year, October of 2017. Um, and that has been remarkably fruitful, just in a nutshell. Um, used to be a pretty down and depressive person. Used to abuse alcohol a whole lot. And just had a lot of, man, rough, rough days of just depression, thinking I was a piece of shit, um, being very paralyzed creatively and in my, in my day job work. And some of that has been uh, covered elsewhere on another show I was on. But basically, I was in a real bad state of mind for a good I'm going to say four years at least. Um, I think some element of the depression was always there. And, you know, I, I recognize uh, anxiety and depression are kind of trendy words currently. Um, I don't mean that in a dismissive way, but just they get tossed around a lot. And everyone who feels that they've experienced some degree of either or both of those sort of brings their own definition to them which is fine. So all this to say yesterday was essentially just a moment or, or an entire day where it felt like I was reverting back to my least healthy self. Um, I felt like I did before starting counseling whatsoever. And it's hard to articulate. It's hard to define other than that there was just a sort of wave of emotion and deep, dark thoughts slamming into me while I was just at work trying to do my job and sort of these overwhelming thoughts of, particularly with me, with writing, with working on this new, I'm, I'm writing a feature film and I've never done that particular thing before and I'm fully confident of my ability to do that. And I, I know that I will finish this and that I will make it. And I don't know if it will be good, but anyway. So, but in the midst of that, you know, just huge, huge overwhelming thoughts of just you, Josh Gaines, are a piece of shit who will never finish anything again everything you've done so far creatively is garbage. You, you are not a real writer. 
you're not a real anything. Actually, you're kind of a fucking loser for having the same job at a lighting company for 10 years now. And so, I mean, all, all that, that intense of just negativity and poisonous, untrue thoughts, just basically, I mean, the whole goal behind any of that negativity is just to get me to come to a complete stop as a person. Uh, I'm sure as hell not going to be able to write creatively from that state of mind. I am at my job and I can't just get up and leave. And it doesn't put me in a good state of mind to work either, clearly. And so um, <laughs> this is not, I, I'm not trying to be dramatic. I'm just telling you the truth of what, what happened, which is that for my lunch break for one hour, I drove around um, sort of in the vicinity of my workplace and basically just screamed and yelled and said, you know, like a, in an, <laughs> the highest volume of curse words um, that I've probably ever said in a row in an hour's amount of time. Most of that directed at God in particular. Um, things like, fuck you. I'm so tired of this. Why is my brain in this state? Why can't I stop my thoughts? Why does it seem like if, if Satan is real, if God is real, why does it seem like Satan's voice or just the negative personification of these thoughts is so much louder all the time than the positive sort of benevolent voice? Why, why does the darkness always seem louder? So yeah, got real angry. And, and um, the reason for that <clears throat> is because, you know, ordinarily on my lunch, I would go to a park nearby and just bring a book and read. That is, you know, one of the most calming and centering things that I can do on in the middle of my workday is just eat my lunch and read for an hour. And that's kind of a nice break. It's a reset and lets me sort of finish off the second half of the day ordinarily in a, in a good mindset. This, this sort of thing, which I didn't plan to do, it's just that I, I was driving around aimless because I didn't know where to go or what to do. And there, there was no desire in me. Nothing sounded appealing. Nothing sounded enjoyable or calm. And the idea of going to a park or even just going and getting myself some French fries and a milkshake or something at a fast food place, which in, in some scenarios can be a nice little, um, just a treat to just be like, Hey, calm down, get some junk food, just, you know, chill out, man. And remember that you're fine and these things will pass and all that. That didn't happen either. Uh, because I just felt no desire even for that. <sighs> after, after this sort of tumultuous lunch break, I came back in my office still just not resolved, not calm, so upset, so, um, again, just aimless. I felt like I didn't have an answer. I didn't have a landing place for my brain to just, to just go, okay, sit here for a minute, at least just like set aside all these thoughts, place them here, contain them, so to speak, and carry on with your work day because you do need to get your work done. And you gotta, you gotta just push this personal crisis aside couldn't even manage to do that and ended up, um, again, I'm, 
I'm not just being dramatic. I'm not trying to get attention for myself. I, I laid down on the floor of my office and curled up in a ball and in, in all sincerity, wished that I could cry, wished that I could just bawl my eyes out and tears would not come, which that, that very thing, the desire to cry and it will not come is something that happened uh, often back before any therapy, any counseling where I knew that there was a lot of stuff stirred up in me, but for whatever reason, the emotional piece, the sort of release of crying would not come. And what's crazy is since counseling, I've been crying plenty and uh, I have no uh, shame or, or uh, difficulty admitting that, especially as a male. I know that's sort of like a stereotype that men ought not to cry or ought not to show um, emotion like that, which one, that's some cultural bullshit that only here in, in America primarily have we been brought up with, but um, but also, I, I think it's wonderful. I think it's wonderful to cry. Um, there's something physiologically that is happening with that release of just breaking you down to, to where you have nothing left and you just let go. And that doesn't, any, anyway, I don't need to define that more, but I just, uh, guys don't need to be ashamed of crying and crying is great in the right <laughs> context. So anyway, all this to say, I, I was an absolute mess yesterday. And there was the fear that all the progress that I've had in therapy in counseling, that all this growth and these sort of mental tools that I have to combat moments just like that. Um, while in general, overall, that has very much been true with just combating the depression, combating these negative thoughts, combating this sort of self-deprecating, you're a piece of shit language, whether that's from myself or from an outside source, spiritually, however you want to think of that. I think there's a little bit of both personally, but um, in general, I have been able to combat those moments and just speak truth to myself and say, no, Josh, you're not a piece of shit. I know things feel intense right now. This will pass. This emotion does not define who you are or your entire life or everything about you. And, you know, usually can, can carry on after a little while. And as a type four on the Enneagram, this is this very thing, this sort of rush of emotion that feels out of your control and feels like, um, as someone else described it, getting uh, blown in the face with a hot blow dryer, you know, just blasted in the face with loud, overwhelming heat and wind and going, like you have to kind of grit your teeth and just bear it and get through it because it's like, this is a lot. This is a lot. Oh my gosh. It's not going to kill me, but fuck, this is a lot. Um, those moments through therapy, I have been able to overcome. And which is why yesterday was so scary because it was just like, man, did I have, have I actually not changed at all? Am I still just as messed up and just as broken as ever? And I haven't made any growth. I haven't made any progress. 
Um, ultimately, I think that's not true. And um, I mean, my my wife was kind enough to let me, uh, she, I mean, we had been texting throughout the day and she knew I was doing bad. And I, I try really hard to keep it together um, to, when I come home to be with my wife and daughter and to not just be this depressive, um, sulky guy who just goes and lays face down in bed or like sits in a corner, you know, um, I, I'm not saying I always succeed, but I try really hard to be present. Anyway, Emmy knew that I was doing real bad yesterday and that yesterday was, um, kind of, a, a, a monumental bad one. So she let me go in the evening, watch a movie by myself. As I was sitting in the theater before the movie started, I just, I had my little journal out and was kind of going back through the day. And in that moment, thinking back through the day, it was like, what the hell happened? What was that? I, you know, it, it felt like a different person. Um, it felt so fully out of my control. And, you know, that gets a little iffy, that gets a little gray. I know uh, I am prone to emotional swells like that, that, that sometimes, yes, sometimes they are just me being a whiny little bitch and I get upset about something, whatever it may be, and think that my needs and my desires are the most important in the world. I yesterday in particular, I don't think that's what this was. This, this just felt bigger than that. And, and the fact that I couldn't get it under control with the sort of tools that I've learned, you know, was troubling. So, but anyway, uh, you know, just being at the movie theater, writing in my journal and reminding myself, yeah, that sucked. That absolutely sucked. Uh, but it did pass. And even in the moment of badness, you know, I can sort of zoom out from myself and recognize like, okay, this is one of these moments and I don't fully understand it. And I fucking hate when they happen. There have been times in moments like that where I have felt suicidal. I, in all sincerity, don't feel suicidal now, not even close. Um, but I, you know, I can see clearly how someone could get to that point in that place and follow through, you know, because they, they can't get their brain to, to go to the positive part. They can't get their brain to see past that moment of emotional swell. I, I, I wouldn't ever want anyone to go through that moment and think that it will be permanent to think that it will be forever to think that they are stuck there and that that moment or those thoughts define them as a person because they don't. They don't. Basically, what I took from yesterday is that, I mean, one, my counselor has been so clear about, listen, you you can get better and you can be really equipped, but no human ever is going to be 100%. You're never going to be fully fixed. That doesn't mean I go to therapy forever either, um, but it just means here are your tools this is kind of the best shape that you can be in mentally and, and personally and whatever else. But these days of, of crashing and burning are still going to come. They're still going to happen. And that doesn't mean you've lost any progress. That doesn't mean 
you're a piece of shit. That doesn't mean you're just as bad as ever or that you haven't learned anything. It just means, yeah, this is what it is to be human. And these weird, inconsistent, sometimes unexplainable things happen. Maybe that is due to our <laughs> something as simple as lack of sleep or how how our diet has been over the past few days that just cause these little dips and valleys and, and hills in our emotional state and that neurologically affect us. Of course, there's there's that factor. I would never deny that. But yeah, it's just going, it's recognizing, okay, like yesterday, that that's gonna happen again, um, something similar. And all I can hope is to be more prepared for the next one, to, to recognize it as it's happening and acknowledge it and even even some of that acknowledging it and recognizing it can sort of diffuse that moment um but it's not going to completely get rid of it you know anyway so that i mean i think at least for me that that is uh all that i have to go off of is just to be better prepared for the next one and to try to recognize it for what it is and not let it conquer me so much for the day so that I'm curled up in a ball on the floor, you know, and listen, in all seriousness, just if you resonate with that at all, if you recognize what I'm talking about, if you understand that or have been there, I I feel that I feel the weight of those moments and how daunting they can feel. I just want you, if you have those moments, to have, um, I don't know, even if you remember something as, as insignificant as this podcast episode, to just remind yourself that you are okay, that it will be okay, that that moment will pass, that your life is not defined and summed up by the intensity of emotion that is hitting you. And because things can feel so overwhelmingly true in that state of mind, um, they can feel so overwhelmingly permanent. And that just isn't the case. I mean, because I think when you step back, you realize almost none of life works that way where we're just locked into these things permanently, at least as far as how our, our brain operates and, and our sort of control and will over those. So anyway, just know that if you have those moments, I have been there. I am there. I'm still wrestling with those things. Um, less often than I did before, less frequently, thank God. But they still come because that is part of life and it's not part of life for everyone. Some people have no idea what we're talking about. Some people never, ever have those moments and, you know, good for them. But those of us that do, there is a significance to that. There's, there is a gravity to that you know, and it would be easy for some of a different personality or of a different temperament to just sort of brush that off or uh, dismiss it as being, um, 
you know, emotionally volatile or just being a baby and that you need to like stop being a pussy and pull yourself up and like get to work and get your shit together. You know, I don't, I don't buy into that whatsoever. I think that is just, um, not helpful. So this sort of pull up your bootstraps sort of work harder thing. What I'm saying is someone could easily dismiss what I'm talking about as just like, why don't you stop being so emotional? Like, why don't you pull it together and just move on because it doesn't matter, you big baby. You know, I um, I don't think that's helpful at all. That's not a good starting point for motivation. You know, that's not a good starting point for believing that you are okay, believing that you have um, just a, a will and a, a confidence within you and the ability to move past those moments and grow from them and learn and, and change and walk through it. I hope that that is helpful to some degree. I really do because the reality of, of those kind of things is, is utterly real. Um, even though it's hard to articulate, it's hard to define, it's hard to see coming. And, um, you know, in the state of the world that we live in and the things that we are exposed to every day, pretty much, I, it is my belief and sentiment that the, this sort of anxiety inducing shit is, is only becoming more prominent. And, um, that doesn't mean that I think we need to be all doomy and gloomy and, and depressed and, and worried about it, but just recognizing, yeah, bad, dark shit happens in our world daily, like by the minute. And f for better or for worse, we now hear about much more of it. It's not that those things are new, but we hear about it immediately. And that can be overwhelming because even if you hear something that is completely disconnected from you, it, it can integrate into your sense of thinking subconsciously and just make you think, oh man, this world is more and more unsafe. It's less and less safe. It's less safe for my kids and my spouse or my partner, whatever that may be. You know, that, those sort of things can creep in, especially after day, day after day, reading things online, it's, it does sink, sink into our thinking. I absolutely think it does. So anyway, those realities are there and, and we can acknowledge that, but we don't have to be conquered by them. I'm going to switch gears a little bit and talk about something different, which is that I realized last night, and I've sort of come to this moment before, which is that um, I mentioned I'm writing a feature film and I've already directed one short film. And for some reason, I still view guys like Alex Garland or any, any director or author or musician that I admire, who, whoever it may be, whatever artist, Paul Thomas Anderson, or I, I view them without even thinking about it. I view them in my mind as many, many tiers above me up on this way higher shelf of being than I am, you know, feeling self-conscious about calling myself an author, calling myself a director. I, I wouldn't anymore call myself a musician, but I feel disingenuous 
calling myself an author or calling myself a director, one, because it isn't my main um, occupation and source of income, which that one I'm getting further and further away from. I don't, I don't mind that part so much because that isn't what defines it. But just the fact that, okay, I've made a movie. I've had a book published. I'm an author. I'm a director. But why... Why do I w- compare myself, you know, to, to people at a different level than me and go, oh, they out there outside of me are something much, much different from Josh Gaines. And, and by that, I mean, I am lesser than them and they are greater than me. And the funny thing is, is that I, I don't think that is necessarily true because they too, anyone who has ever made a thing that has gotten popular or not, or that, that we've revered as a great piece of art, they were still just people. You know, I know that's a fairly simple concept and maybe that comes, maybe that's very obvious to others, but, and granted there is a great deal of work and commitment and discipline behind those things, you know, you don't become a sort of master of your craft, so to speak, without spending a great deal of time working on it. But, you know, at least in the case of movies, no great movie that you've ever seen that has meant a lot to you. Yeah, it's got one director's name on it, but he or she had so much help from so many other artists who don't get as much notoriety or or, uh, recognition, you know? That's why the credits on films are so long, obviously, because there's like 200 people making this thing happen. And um, sure, the director can be sort of guiding the vision of it. And perhaps he came up with a story or or whatever it may be. But just um, the simple fact that I, I and you, I hope this again relates to you, is that uh, why why can I not just accept myself as more or less the same creature as Paul Thomas Anderson? Have I made as many movies as him? No. Will I ever be as good at making movies as he is? Probably not. But it's I, th- I think if he were here, if he or many artists that I admire who have any amount of humility, if they were here sitting with me, and I explained that to them in a setting where they were gracious enough to listen. I think they'd say, oh, dude, no, like I, I'm not any higher than you. I'm not up on a tier. I'm not on a, on a throne or a pillar, an ivory tower. <laughs> That's what I was trying to get to. Um, I'm the same as you, man. I, I still uh, get stomach aches and I still have to take care of my kids. I still have nights that I don't sleep well. You know, it's just, I idolize these people. I guess that's the simplest way to say it. I, ass- I make assumptions about them that they are like these superhumans who just are utterly confident all the time. They know they are masters of their craft. They never have anxiety or doubt. And they're just like, boom, here's my next project. This is what we're doing. I have it completely filled out in my mind 100% and I'm ready to make it. And it's going to go exactly how I thought. And, you know, that's just, that is not realistic at all. I'm, I'm coming to terms with this and trying so hard to undo this way of thinking, to unravel it. Because that just, 
um, one, I don't want to idolize any other human, you know, because we're all just the same thing. None of us escape the same fate of, of death, but, but I mean, to look at it on a, in a, in a lighter frame, like I said, we all do the same things. We all eat and are subject to needing sleep and air and water. It's, it's good to have heroes. Of course, you know, some of these people were foundational as I was growing up and just helping me grow as an artist and, and recognize things that other people do so well and go, oh yes, that makes me think of a different idea or I see how good they are at that. And I, I want to work and train myself until I can figure out how to do that. That is good. Inspiration and motivation and drive, you know, I feel like we, we need that from other people. That's so good. But yes, the, the idolizing leads me to, at least right now at this point in life, I know I would be very nervous meeting any of those people. I, I would love to come to a place of, of confidence, not, not of arrogance, not of thinking I am something great, but just having the peace and the self-assurance in me that anyone that I come across I, I do not need to be intimidated by, even if they're an extremely forward, boisterous, A-type personality that, that does think highly of themselves, that does think they are, you know, God's gift to whatever it may be, to whatever craft. And you know what? Why, why would I be intimidated by someone like that? Because I, I wouldn't want to befriend that person. You know, anyone who has that sort of forward arrogance, I'm, I'm not interested, man. I know. I'll, I'll read a quote now. I, I hope you understand what I'm saying. It's basically just that I want to grow more comfortable to where I'm not. I don't need to be intimidated by anyone because they don't have anything. I am not beholden to them for anything. They, they do not need to define where I am or who I think I am. And an interaction with any kind of person shouldn't knock down or necessarily boost up our own view of ourselves, our own opinion, our own um, sort of security, that sort of just quiet, sure security that we don't require anything from others to be okay <laughs> and to be fully ourselves and uh I, for one, spend too much time thinking about that sort of thing and, and uh, failing, frankly, at those interactions. But I'm better than I was, and I trust that I will continue to get better as time goes on. So I'm going to read a quote, which is related to all of that that I was just saying about thinking that I'm not one of those guys. And okay, one other thing before I get to the quote, just Emmy encouraged me last night that even though, even though it doesn't feel substantial to me that I've made things. I, I have done those things and it's okay to recognize them. I have, I have made an album. I have written a book. I have made a movie. And though any one of those things in and of itself is something to be proud of and thankful for, it, it, it is a gift. It is rare to be able to make things out of nothing, to be able to create, to be able to make art. And so, you know, why, 
why is my album that I made in 2011 not significant just because nobody bought it and it didn't gain the success or notoriety or, or recognition from other humans. It, it, it should never come down to that, to some uh, arbitrary popularity contest of just, is, is such and such a great artist because they sold 5 million copies of an album? Or are they a great artist because their music is really good? And a lot of people recognize that. And that's why it sells, you know, it's just, there's a, there's a balance there. And I, I know there's been uh, extremes on both sides of that for a long time in all mediums of art. So anyway, for what that's worth. Okay. Here's a little quote from uh, a gal, from a gal named Anne Lamott. Anne Lamott, I have the biggest non-romantic crush on of any woman currently living, I would say. And that doesn't count my wife because I, I have a actual romantic crush on her. But Anne Lamott is, um, goodness sakes, she's, she's just a deer. She's just a deer heart. She's a little doll, little doll face. And uh, over, over the past six months or so, I've read almost everything that she has put out. And she has, she has been so crucial in, in, um, oh, in tandem with my therapy and counseling in, in that she, her words have helped me one love Jesus more, but also just be kind to myself. And I don't mean that in a narcissistic way. I don't mean that in a self-centered way, but just dude, stop beating yourself up all the damn time. Stop you know, because that is a form of selfishness to this, um, oh, I'm a piece of shit. Anyway, uh, part of, part of counseling has just been that Josh, you have to be kind to yourself because it is so completely useless and unproductive to beat yourself up and go, you, you piece of shit. Look what you didn't get done today. Or like, look at the bad decision you made that you regret or whatever it may be. And, and just dwelling on that and getting stuck and stuck and stuck. Anyway, it's, it's hard to describe, but if you've read Anne Lamott, I think you probably know what I mean in the sense that she makes mistakes all the time. And yes, she is such a kind, just sincerely hearted person who I really believe just wants to, um, follow Jesus in the way that makes sense to her and take care of the people around her. And that's all, that's all we can hope for. I think Trevor is at my door. So I'm going to pause this real quick. Okay. Back at it. Resume. All right. So the following is a quote from Miss Anne Lamott's book, Operating Instructions, which is a book that is about 20 something years old at this point. It is about the first year of her son being born. She was a single mother and in her early 30s at the time that she wrote this. And she basically just kept a journal for uh, the first year that her son was born. And uh, yeah, and it's profound. And then, and then she ended up you know, publishing it. But here's a little, here's a little nugget for you from Miss Lamont. Quote, I can't believe I have a book coming out soon. 
After a lifetime of thinking of myself as a writer, I simply cannot imagine how on earth that book managed to get itself written. It seems like someone else must have written it for me. Someone who does not cry all the time and have six-inch nipples. Uh, Yeah, breastfeeding, got it, you know. Resume quote. I am grateful to whoever that was. I got my first hardback copy the other day and flipped through it. It looks and reads like a real functioning person was involved, and there is no one fitting that description at this address. End quote. And the reason I love that and had it underlined is just that as as a writer in particular, I can resonate with that. <laughs> that that sort of disassociation with a completed work and and also um maybe not always, you know flip-flopping between thinking of yourself as a writer and thinking of yourself as a faker as a fraud like someday the writer police are going to knock on the door and just be like oh, excuse me you've been calling yourself a writer and that's a lie and now we're going to revoke everything good in your life so good luck with that anyway that quote is helpful to me. That That's one of many that I've underlined in this book and in many of her books. She's just a doggone delight because she talks a lot about just regular life, about faith, about being a writer. And she's had a lot of heartache and friend, dear close friends dying and things like that. So anyway, she's she's well acquainted with grief, you might say. And uh, she's just marvelous. So you should, if you liked that quote, read some Anne Lamott, because she's a doll. I already said that. But it's a good word. We don't call ladies that enough in, a, in an affectionate way, not in a creepy uh, hitting on them way. <laughs> so, oh, well, that's, it's been a great, it's just been a great time sitting around with you, shooting the breeze. And um, I'm so glad you're here. That's really the truth. I'm so glad that you chose to listen to this out of other things that you could be doing in your life. And listen, if you like this show, you can actually support it for a meager uh, amount of $1 per month over on patreon.com slash texture pod. Any contribution you make can help go towards that and just eases it a little bit for me, which is marvelous. So thank you for that if you are already. And um, yeah, listen, I'm not trying to just swindle you. I'm not trying to sell you some snake oil for your to, to salve your, to soothe your aches and pains, okay? If I just wanted your money, I'd be much more suave, be much more of a salesman, be a lot better about it. Like, hey, Uh, Thank you so much if you are supporting this show already, and I do appreciate your help. Again, that's patreon.com slash texturepod. And oh boy, we covered some some heavy ground, some serious ground. Let's get silly for a minute. I was thinking the other day, I'll I'll leave you with this little gem. I was thinking about the, the chain of gas stations. Maybe you've seen them if you've gone on a road trip through the Midwest. I think this is kind of where they are. Maybe the Southwest too. And um, the name of these gas stations, the actual title of them is Bar F, B-A-R hyphen F, which, okay, uh, any 
person above the age of eight who can read well uh, is going to (laughs) see that and immediately think the word barf, you know, because a, a hyphen doesn't, that's not enough of a separation there for my brain to not just for, for all of our brains, I think to just put that together and just be like barf and laugh. Like, yes, these gas stations are named after a synonym for vomit. Great. But you know, the funny thing is, is that there's numerous of these. I mean, that bar F must be a corporation. There must be a company somewhere out there, or they used to be who in their right mind <laughs> ever wanted to start a company. And it's just like, you know what? Sitting around a board, uh, like a, a boardroom table, big old conference room, some like business guru, some big wig. It's got a bunch of money. It's like an oil um, tycoon or something. You know, I've got a, I've got an idea for a bunch of new gas stations. And here, here's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking a big old sign with a plastic front and it's got some fluorescent lights behind it, making it nice and bright in the in the prairie when people are driving right on the interstate. And I want to call it Bar F. And then some little assistant, like some accountant or something, his name's Johnson. For some reason, just, you know this guy, like a little mousy dude. He's like four foot five and he has little round spectacles. And he's just like, ah, sir, uh, don't, don't you think that Bar F people associate that with barf? Like the word barf. And the oil tycoon is, of course, he's like, I've never, that's never crossed my mind. What are you talking about? No one's going to think that. Good as six. Bar F's a great name. It's a, my, my grandpappy was named Bar F. He's a, he was my grandpappy Bar, and his middle name was Franklin, and he went by Bar F, and we all called him Bar F. So it's going to be Bar F gas stations. Anyway, I just don't know how. <laughs> I don't know how these places came about. Here's another thing that's, fu- that's named a funny thing. This one I like a lot. I like it as much as Bar F. Bar F is great. And he, anyone out there who works for Bar F, man, power to you. God bless you. Um, have a great time working at Barf. Another thing I really enjoy is um, the Dumb Friends League, if you're familiar with this. So, <laughs> you know, the Dumb Friends League is a, I think that's what it's called. It's the Dumb Friends something. And what that means is I think it's an organization that helps pets you know, the, the term dumb once meant unable to speak, you know, so our, our cats and dogs and our hamsters and these gerbils and, and whatever else, our little animals that we care for, um, that are our pets, they can't speak, you know, they don't have a voice. So they're dumb in a, in a literal sense. But again, put that in the context of 2018, where the word dumb is 99.7% of the time used to call someone an idiot <laughs> to where it seems like kind of an insult, right? Like here's this gl- beautiful organization that just wants to help out animals who are like in need of medical care or something. They like little Ralphie, the dog needs his worm medication. <laughs> and so he has to get help from the dumb friends league. Apparently I, d- I don't even know what they do clearly. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you just no one ever refers to their pets like that. Like, yeah, this is my dumb friend, Carl. <laughs> this is Carl the cat, and he lives here, and he's my dumb friend. Like, 
he's pleased to meet you. You know, I just think it's funny. These things where you think, um, in this day and age that like, maybe, maybe it's time to change your name, you know, it just to get the, the brand a little more clear in its objective of, uh, Hey, dumb friends. Like if you don't know what that means, that sounds like someone is making a joke of an organization. Anyway, it's a real place. So thank you to Dumb Friends League and to Bar F who both sponsored this episode. Bar F gave me one Snickers bar and the Dumb Friends League gave me a cat collar that is lined with anti-itch ointment. So thank you both for those contributions that are so very helpful to putting out audio things into the world. Thank you all. I love you guys. I do. I may not know you, but I love you. And I'm so glad you're here. Thanks for listening to Texture. See you next time.